One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in, Dirtbags. You're listening to A Dirtbags Guide to Life on the Road, and this is Chuck Charles, Wildcat Chuck Charles Ellsworth, um, your host, the Dirtbag King himself, the self-dubbed Dirtbag King. Um, Yeah, don't trust someone who calls themselves the king of something. Normally, I would tell you not to trust someone who calls themselves the king of something, but in this case... I'm going to ask for you to make an exception. Um, welcome to episode nine. I believe we're on episode nine, episode 10. Um, oh no. I'm going to have to double check that. But four, five, six, seven. Well, this is either episode eight or nine, depending on what order in which we release things. But just got finished sitting down with my friend Julian Carr um, via. Zencaster, so not really actually in person, but we had a great conversation about um, about a lot of things. He's a professional skier, world record holder. Um, the man's insane and just an absolute animal, and he's just got this level of confidence about him that I've just always really admired, and it was cool to sit down and just have a conversation. Um, our paths used to cross uh, quite a bit for a year or two there when I was in uh, – Salt Lake City, but I haven't really seen him since. So it was just nice to catch up after about six plus years of of not really talking a whole lot. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, if you're a first time listener to the show, welcome. Um, this is a Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road, where I just interview people I admire or people that have some sort of out of the ordinary job that causes them to travel a lot or just has that impulse to be on the road and be in motion constantly. It's something I found about myself a long time ago and kind of modeled my life around the idea of being on the road and and figuring out how to see as much of this world as I can and meet as many people as possible. And I've done that so far through uh, playing music and writing songs. And it's, uh, it's kind of an unbelievable thing, the places that songwriting has taken me and uh, the places that you know, or the people that music has introduced me to, I'm really grateful for it. Um, if you haven't listened to other episodes before and you're here for Julian, uh, it's really interesting because a previous life of mine was as a ski bum. I was a snowboarder technically, but, uh, I went to school in Utah for snowboarding mainly. I mean, I, I was studying film and media arts at the university of Utah. Shout out to the people who 
I owe a lot of money to. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, snowboarding was the reason I ended up in Utah and I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for the passion I had for that sport back then. And the amount of times I, the amount of time I spent outside of my comfort zone and, and um, dealing with the fear that, uh, you know, jumping off cliffs and doing jumps and rails and things like that uh, leads you to become familiar with. And I talk with Julian a lot about that because he's, like I said before, an absolute madman. Um, and he, it's just, it's amazing what he's accomplished. It's amazing the things he's put his body through and he, the way he's learned from it. And I think there's just something for us all to learn from it, um, from his perseverance and, and from his confidence. Once he decides he wants to do something, he does it and he doesn't half-ass anything and he knows that it's going to be successful because he's got this like this vision and this belief in himself and it's it's really inspiring he's a real cool cat and i hope you guys enjoy this show um if you would like to like to support a dirtbags guide and um you know help what i'm doing there's a handful of different ways you can do it first by listening to my music on Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Amazon Music under the, my name, Charles Ellsworth, or my instrumental project, which is AB Chetisky. Um, give those some listens, add those some of those songs that you like, if there are any, to some playlists you listen to regularly or show it to some friends. That's kind of my main gig is playing music. Um, these days, live music isn't really happening a whole lot. So every little bit makes a big difference for me and uh, my team. Uh, you can also subscribe to me on YouTube or, you know, watch any of those videos. YouTube doesn't quite make me money yet, but we're trying to get it there. So every subscription, um, makes a big difference. Another way you can support the show is you can be a supporter of mine over on Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. This is honestly the best way to just directly support me. Um, you get the most bang for your buck, I believe, uh, get access to a lot of different, content exclusive content um just kind of get to know me a little bit more and, and my world a little bit more on an intimate way than you would just following me on instagram and listening to the records um so if you've got a you know anywhere from a dollar to five dollars what you would spend on a cup of coffee or a beer um each month you can donate that money or, or contribute that money to my patreon become a patron of mine and that money goes to ensure that I can keep the lights on and I have a budget to pursue more creative projects beyond the podcast and just music. I've got a new record coming out uh, early next year and the first single on that record is coming out here in a couple weeks. Um, and I want to make a lot of music videos for this record. I've got three in mind as it is right now with my background in film. I feel like I've been kind of dipping my toes back into the film world after a number of years, kind of not really being involved there. And I really kind of want to jump heads head first back into it. I've got a bunch of projects that aren't even really music related in mind right now, kind of getting back into visual storytelling, not lyrical st storytelling and melody story storytelling. So or melodical st storytelling. Um, I, I'm, it's an exciting time in my life and as crazy as the world is right now and how much I'm constantly on a roller coaster of emotions because of everything that's going on in the world right now, I'm feeling really good about myself and what I'm creating. And if you want to be more involved with that and, you know, help me see a lot of that through Patreon's a great way to do that. 
Another way you can support the show is just to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. If everyone listening to the show would just share it with a friend or two, our listener base would, it would make a big difference to me and it would make a big difference to um, getting our podcast noticed. Um, There's a lot of guests I've got in the future lined up and I've started to reach out to and I think we've got some really cool episodes on the way and I'd also love to hear from y'all about you know what you like about the show what you don't like about the show you can do that by leaving a review or just message me find me on instagram uh, instagram.com or you can just at charles.smellsworth me charles.smellsworth i'm also on facebook charles ellsworth and twitter i think it's grumpy old chuck or something like that well i'm gonna get done rambling i hope you're all just at the very least, feeling really good about yourself and uh, confident in your ability to make the best decisions for yourself. Um, Enjoy this episode with Julian and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. Y'all take care. Enjoy now. All right. Well, welcome to Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, or as some people call me, Chuck. Um, I've got my friend Julian Carr on the line. How you doing, Julian? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Stoked to catch up. Yeah, it's it's been a while, and I'm, I'm really excited to have you on here. For those of you that uh, aren't familiar with Julian, Julian's a professional skier, entrepreneur, um, just all around really badass dude. Um, always been very impressed with him and just stoked that i can call him a friend so thanks again for joining us julian definitely man i fired up um i wanted to first just start off uh, where where are you from are you i met you in salt lake city and i assume you're originally from utah but i don't know if i ever found out if that's where you're originally from yeah man i was actually uh born and raised in salt lake city grew up in the avenues um did lots of team sports growing up uh did a lot of skateboarding tried snowboarding in fifth grade kind of tweaked my knee and then my mom got me into skiing in eighth grade um and yeah kind of just been home base ever since and went to college at the university of utah and um man utah's got it going on you know i just every time i think about making a new home base it's just like wow it's too good there i i totally know what you mean i've been in uh new york city for it'll be six years next month but i'm like kind of feeling a relocation coming in the next year or so. And like, when I say, I kind of want to go back to Salt Lake, people are like, but yeah, but you've done there and you, you've been there and you've done that. Maybe you should try something new. And I'm like, yeah, but Utah just like has everything that I like to do. And like a lot of people that I really love. So like, it, I don't know, it's hard to choose anywhere else. It's true. I mean, the proximity of the mountains, the light snow and an international airport, it's pretty, uh, pretty unique. <laughs> It really is. And when I went to school there, uh, I went to the U also. And it was like mainly because I had a really fun weekend snowboarding at Brighton when I was like a junior in high school and I didn't want to stay in state for school. So I was like, well, I guess I'll go to Utah. And it ended up being like just, I don't know, almost more of a home than the town I grew up in in a lot of ways. That's awesome, man. Um, Yeah, it's it's got it going on. um, I've been fortunate enough to travel significantly and still every time it's time to come back home i was like cool let's go (laughs) yeah totally and that that's uh something that's that i wanted to talk to you about you you started skiing you said when you were in 
eighth grade. So you, you tried snowboarding first and it just wasn't really your thing. Well, so I grew up skateboarding and uh, I just crashed super hard my very first snowboard run ever and oh, damn. ended up getting on crutches and stuff. So it's just funny that, you know, fast forward to eighth grade and I went skiing with my mom and just felt so at home on skis. And I still to this day feel so at home on a skateboard. But it's just so strange that if I wouldn't have tweaked my knee that day, like guaranteed, I would have never touched skis like 100%. So it's kind of like that strange thing that you look back on that was seen, you know, it's just like, wow, if I wouldn't have gotten hurt that day snowboarding, I would have for sure never skied, you know, so it's just pretty thankful I ended up tweaking my knee that day. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting how things like that work out. And you may not notice them until 10, 20 years later. But then you're like, man, that's that's wild that I may not be doing what I'm doing what I love to do if I hadn't. Yeah, isn't that wild? Had that experience. Yeah, that is that is really wild, especially because snowboarding was such a cool thing. Like like the cool thing. We're about the same age, so like when I started, I started skiing much younger, and when I picked up snowboarding in seventh grade, it was just like I had been skateboarding and I wanted to try snowboarding, and it was like the cool way for me to get away from my family sure. and like hang out with my friends. And I loved that like your mom got you into skiing, and that's where you've been ever since. Yeah, man, definitely shout out to my mom because <laughs> she made it happen. So happy she did. Yeah, no, shout out to all the moms taking their kids to the ski hill before they can drive and stuff. No doubt. My, my moms and all my friends' moms, like coordinating rides and stuff like that so we could just get up to the mountain. It's just insane that they, they were able to do that. Totally, man. Um, If you, like when you were even younger than that, like, I mean, just for my listeners that aren't familiar with you, no, like I, back in the day, I edited a couple of videos for Julian and there was a POV video of him jumping off of like a 150, 200 foot cliff and doing this huge front flip off of it. And it was like the most insane thing for me to like work on this video on my IMAX screen because you felt like you were doing the flip with him and it like just make your guts turn. And so those of you that don't know, Julian's like, you still have a world record for like front flip off of a cliff or something like that? Yeah, pretty sure I'm having no one else has came along yet. But yeah, biggest uh, cliff with an invert um, and biggest cliff during a competition. Um, those are like the two that are like, you know, kind of official. I, I personally think I have the world's biggest spread eagle off a cliff too because I did a big old spread eagle and held it for, you know, the whole way. And it was like yeah. 120 foot cliff. So yeah, I got, I got a few under my belt. I'm hoping someone can point out someone's done a bigger spread Eagle off a bigger cliff, but that's another one that I've not seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's so dope. And that's, yeah, I wanted to like right off the bat, let my listeners know, like, or get an idea of kind of what one of the many things you do. And I've kind of always been like a, adrenaline junkie and um just looking for that next thrill within reason um have like were there signs when you were a kid that you were you know doing crazy things on the trampoline or like you said skateboarding throwing yourself off of like big stair sets like were there signs that you might be doing these sort of things for the uh, next 20 years <laughs> well so growing up i had an amazing um trampoline in the backyard and it was so bouncy um and I'd all like I had a rule for myself and I'd always have to do a front flip off the tramp every time I got off. So we're talking, you know, thousands and thousands of flips off the tramp, let alone 
whatever I was doing on the tramp, you know? Yeah. And I did a bit of gymnastics when I was a youngster as well. And I hardly ever like actually followed through with any, um, you know, learning of any kind of routines and whatnot. Cause I was always just super, uh, interested in playing in the foam pit. So, okay, um, yeah. even when like the instructor wasn't looking, I'd climb up into the rafters. Like we're talking 40 feet up there. I'm like, you know, 11 year old. And I just like, for whatever reason, uh, instinctually knew how to land in the foam pit from 40 feet that it would be just completely fine. And I think that's one of the coolest things that, you know, eighth, ninth grade, when I started going off little jumps and little five foot cliffs and stuff and understood uh, and felt and experienced deep powder instantly, I was like, oh my goodness, like the mountains are just a gigantic version of a foam pit. <laughs> so yeah, that kicked off my uh, love of, you know, constantly searching for cool jumps and cliffs because I immediately just applied, you know, that same experience I'd have doing so many flips on tramps and obviously foam pits. So it was like, okay, there's no, the rafters go a little higher out here in the mountains, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, that's, uh, um, that's really, really interesting. Really cool that like, I, I grew up in a, a neighborhood where there was like a group of the, like the boys all hung out, but I was the youngest one of like our group of boys and like my little brother and some of the other little brothers were a little too young, but I, because I was the youngest and the lightest, they always had me try whatever insane contraption they'd put together Love. to like, like repel off the third story of like my neighbor's like balcony. And it's okay. like using horse ropes and things like that. I probably could have died multiple times and, but I was the lightest. So they sent me off those things. And then I think that's where it all started. No so I can problem. kind kind of relate, except I'm not as good at landing without getting hurt. <laughs> I'm currently icing an ankle I hurt on a trail run like two weeks ago. So that's awesome. <laughs> as uh, as you get older, um, how like how have you changed your approach to to skiing and to your body and things like that? Um, I just say that you know through like anyone that skis and falls in love with it, obviously it's pretty dangerous. So I think anyone that's stuck around definitely has a story to tell about, you know, fighting through an injury or surgery or, you know, an intense physical therapy situation where basically you're confronted with a, you know, path of how much do you love this sport? Are you going to apply what you've learned from getting hurt to make better decisions? Or are you just going to kind of pump the brakes and not ski as much or take as many risks, you know? So I think, for anyone that obviously loves skiing, um, you just learn from those mistakes. So I think just throughout the years, I've become such a better decision maker. Um, so just my ability to interpret, you know, whether it's conditions or my own skill set or visions that I have, I just kind of have a nice lens on how to be realistic uh, and, and just make better decisions. Oh, yeah. No, that... That definitely makes sense. I feel like that definitely can be applied to to life as well. You know, I'm I'm much better at knowing how to handle the things that like my brain or my body seem to throw in front of me more regularly than others. Like, um, staying active leads to less depression. Um, so yeah, no, I mean it makes that makes a lot of sense. Totally. Um, and 
what like can you take us to any like serious injury you had where you you weren't able to ski for a while or you had to like um you know go through those physical therapy sessions where you're like you know kind of having to decide how much do I love this uh I have a few under my belt but the first really intense one um when I was around 20 years old I tore my ACL and you know, that was a pretty big dose of reality of being yeah. like, oh man, I'm not instructable at all. And sure. this is gnarly financially and time commitment to get better. Um, and then a few years later, uh, I shattered my femur in 11 pieces. So Holy shit. that was intense because it made me realize like mortality like not only is this dangerous but you could die you know and i actually got pretty lucky on that one and had a serious serious uh you know sit down with myself uh through that whole physical therapy process and getting back on my feet and back into skiing so that was like a real real serious uh kind of you know check-in with myself and and i still you know wanted to proceed and uh definitely made me a much better decision maker and i just made a promise to myself that i wouldn't do anything unless i was 100 percent sure of it because what led me to that injury was just kind of a 99 percent sure i'm going to drop in and if that one percent happens usually i would just think on my feet or make real-time reactions and pull it off miraculously but finally that one percent caught up with me and you know i had a really really bad crash and yeah. It's because I didn't think no, it all through. Uh, I didn't, um, that's, you know. That makes like that makes sense as far as this the kind of process or promise you would make to yourself after an experience like that. Because that's, man, that's about as bad as it can get as far as breaks go. Shattering your femur. That's that's gnarly, man. <laughs> I, basically, what happened was it was the first day of the season. The first year, I had a whole bunch of sponsors, and I did into this insane um, preseason training, I'd never felt better on my skis. And I just picked up all my first sponsors. It was day one. I, you know, skiing bell to bell. I was at snowbird and I just felt unstoppable. And I lined up this kind of double cliff kind of shoot weird line and mm -hmm. aced it. And, uh, later in the day I came back to it, didn't focus the way I should have and dropped in without totally getting my thoughts together. And yeah, I wasn't on balance. I didn't, I just didn't nail it. And I got me off the second cliff kind of sideways and clipped my hip on it. And uh, yeah, I landed face first in the snow and I was like, Ooh, I just bruised my ass and I rolled over onto my back and my boot was actually, my leg was like draped up across my body and my boot was up by my head. So I had this like wet noodle leg laying on my head. And instantly it was like, wow, like uh, you need to remain calm because whatever is going on with this injury, you need to be able to clearly communicate with whoever's going to be helping you, you know? And so I like took my leg and aligned it the way it should be like a wet noodle. And the first thing I thought of was like, okay, move your toes. And I could. So I was like, okay, that was a big sigh of relief. And then I was like, all right, well, <clears throat> I got that big femoral artery going down my thigh, wherever this thing broke, like way up by my hip. I'm like, if I start feeling lightheaded right now, this is probably it, you know, because I'm going to be internally bleeding out or 
in my boot in my pant you know so you know by then some of my friends caught up to me and i was still totally alert and uh, i was like okay so this is a good sign <laughs> but anyway yeah the, it broke in 11 pieces once i got the x-ray like an inch beneath where it connects into your hip socket there so yeah that was a very, very intense, you know, very dedicated six, seven months of physical therapy and got back on my feet the next year. I was a hundred percent. And through that promise to myself of needing to be a hundred percent, it's interesting because up until that injury, kind of the biggest cliffs I'd ever done were 40, 50 feet, which is still gigantic. But, um, I, you know, started really falling in love with seeing the photos and the footage of guys like uh, Jeff Holden and Jamie Pierre and Chuck Patterson and, and like Chris Collins and Matt Collins and like some of the OGs that were hitting, you know, 60, 70, 80, hundred foot cliffs, especially uh -huh. obviously Jamie Pierre and Jeff Holden. And I was like, man, like these guys somehow cracked the code. And I just fell in love with the, the, the mental pursuit of how they could crack the code obviously physically and mentally like i i was really just interested in going down that path and it's pretty funny i had an aha moment and uh it was like okay if i can just keep my composure in the air for like 0 0.2 0 0.3 seconds longer that's gonna equate to like another 30 40 feet if i I'm already in the air for like one, 1.3 seconds off of like a 30, 40 foot cliff. Uh, the, the, you know, additional speed that you're picking up 0 0.2, 0 0.3 seconds means another, you know, 20 to 50 feet of uh, height. Yeah. So I was like, that's it. I just need to be composed for 0 0.2, 0 0.3 seconds longer in the air. And obviously when you go to apply that, it's a whole nother bar ballpark, but um, the first time I did have that chance, uh, the next year, midwinter, I encountered, uh, I was out in Cardiff, uh, area shooting some photos with, um, Adam Clark and found this like beautiful 80, 90 foot cliff. And man, it was just beyond perfect, super deep in a nice little safe, uh, pocket of a landing. Um, the takeoff was super straightforward. So all the safety was looking good. The snow depth was unbelievable and everything was perfect, but I was freaking out, you know, cause obviously when yeah. you're near the edge of an 80, 90 foot cliff, it is a very uncomfortable. And I was like, man, next time, next time, you know? And right then I was like, you know what? This is never going to be not scary. That's what I realized. I was like, no matter what, even if you do figure out a way to hit these things, you're never going to be not scared. Like this is just part of the process. You need to breathe through this and wrap your head around it. And then if you're still scared, then walk away. But right now you're scared just because it's scary, but you need to really <laughs> evaluate whether it's possible or not, not if it's scary or not. And so that's been something that's been interesting throughout my entire career is encountering the first you know, when you're assessing a big cliff, it's always super scary and you have to breathe through that and figure out where that fear is coming from. Is it scary because there's something wrong about it and you can't do it and you need to walk away? Or is it scary because you're just, it's, it's scary, but you can still do it and you need to be able to breathe through that, those kind of layers of fear 
until you can really start to compartmentalize uh, and think through, um, you know, what you should and shouldn't be scared of. And once you start realizing that actually everything checks out and it's super possible, um, then that fear actually turns into confidence. And it's just like this magical uh, transfer of, you know, feeling so much fear to actually just complete, like, almost meditational uh, composure mentally and physically by the time that I get to 100%, you know, and that's what's so funny. It was like, I am 100% about going back to that 80, 90 footer that I found. I was like, I am 100%. And it was funny because I was like, well, by the promise you gave to yourself, you're you you'd be kind of you know dishonoring yourself if you don't do it <laughs> because yeah, for sure. i made a promise with myself that i had to be 100 percent, and there i was on top of the 80 90 footer and i was 100 percent. so it's funny that again that injury of getting that hurt actually led me down a path of like enabling me to like think so critically and, and fiercely about what i was doing that it, it actually gave me that ability to do the mental part of the big cliffs. And that's obviously um, 50% of doing a big cliff. Obviously the physical part and the athletic part is one thing, but the mental part is absolutely just as important. So it's been a interesting culmination of uh, injuries uh, enabling me. And obviously me having that check-in with myself that unquestionably I, I love to ski and I was going to keep going down that path. Yeah. That's a really legit place to get where you're just like, I, I love to think too much to walk away from it. So I got to figure out how to keep doing it. I've kind of hit that part or that wall with music a lot of different times where it's like, things aren't adding up and I don't want them to continue the way they're going because it's, it's destructive, but I still want to be playing music and figuring out how to make that happen. And a lot of times it's a matter of just like changing your approach or adjusting your mental attitude or, or, you know, trying to drink less whiskey or whatever. <laughs> totally. Now that's uh, really interesting. And I love how you said, like, you're never not going to be scared of this. This is always going to be scary. Yeah. There's, like, so many things about just life in general that can be that way. I can overthink things to where I'm just afraid to walk out my front door if I let myself. And yeah. And I have to like, take a moment and be like, but what's, what's the good things that can happen? What what are you know like not not the worst case scenario? What opportunities are unfolding by me walking out my front door? Totally, dude. That's really cool. What what's going through your head before you go drop off of or jump off or flip off of a hundred foot cliff? <laughs> well, like I said, it's an interesting process of converting a whole bunch of fear into confidence and remaining calm and. Uh, doing that actually just brings you to like this heightened state of uh, like awareness. So mm -hmm. I feel like super aware. I'm very present and, you know, I'm so um, absent from being anything, but just 100% in tune with 
myself and in my environment that it's actually this really cool, you know, like I said, it's on the verge of complete like meditation and serenity of just being immersed in, in being present. You know, it's a magical, magical uh, feeling uh, mentally and physically. Man, I can't even imagine. I, I dropped a handful of cliffs that were nowhere near 80 feet. And, um, I, I kind of know that feeling but to, be, to be chasing that like every year or just as a part of what you do is like really impressive. I think it's pretty fucking rad, dude. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Do you do any other sort of like mindfulness, uh, yoga, meditation, anything like that that helps with this or that helps with your day-to-day life? Um, I've had stints of doing yoga regularly, but, uh, you know, I try to be present and mindful as often as possible, but I never really sit down and like meditate, you know what I'm saying? So I think I'm just fortunate enough that I get those powerful moments in the mountains each winter that, um, I just feel like it really resonates in the rest of my life that, um, allows me just to, um, I don't know, have that like peace of mind that there's so many more important things than, um, the, the rush, you know, the, all these, the, the game board, the, you know, I don't know. Life's like a big, crazy, uh, you know, game you play like a, just a board game. So it's fun when you get out and escape from the phone bills and the mortgages and the taking out the trash and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you just become an animal in the mountains. So I feel like all the rest of my life, I, I luckily I've given that peace of mind because I get such powerful moments in the mountains as an animal, you know? Yeah, totally. I feel that way on stage a lot of times or sometimes in the studio. Um, it's those little moments that I'm chasing, like, 85% of the, what I do musically isn't what's driving me to keep doing music, but those moments are, are like what I want and I'm just going to go for that. Yeah. And I just think it gives you a, a nice perspective on the rest of your life. And I feel like for me, just if you can live life and the golden rule, you know, treat others how you'd want to be treated and, be kind, but obviously have the ability to be assertive, but just, you know, cruise through life in a way that, um, you know, get, get what you need and be nice and go on the mountains as much as possible or play music or whatever it is that you can achieve those, you know, moments of, uh, kind of transcend all the busyness, you know? No, I totally agree. I think the ability to be, present or to pursue some sort of goal that allows you to be present is is so noble sorry i can't turn this echo off on my my end and so i'm hearing myself like a half a second after i say anything and it's kind of driving me crazy (laughs) you know you sound totally normal on my end okay that's great to hear it's just good for me to overthink it (laughs) yeah um, I was going to bring up two different things. Something that I've always noticed about you is 
you just seem like a really confident person, but not in like over the top or cocky. You just you're sure of what of yourself and what you're doing. And it's it was really apparent with discreet. Because when I first met you, I feel like that was a pretty new um endeavor for you. Um and you just seemed like you knew it was gonna be successful and you were gonna like and you were just treating it like it already was. Um I, I can you talk a little bit about that, about like discreet and then just your approach to it as a business person. You know, I just think uh, I knew I loved skiing and I just kind of wanted to have something else going on because I know there, you know, you have a shelf life as a skier or an athlete in general. And so I just wanted to build a business and have something going on so that, you know, as your shelf life expires i just didn't want to be go move transitioning to a new phase of my life that i was kind of you know um trying to maybe figure it out again you know because i fell in love with skiing so much there's no question i was going to dedicate myself to it um i just think it was like a strange backup plan but it was also uh just a really fun mental um creative uh you know thing to go down but i didn't have any pressure to have like any real benchmarks out of the gate of like what I considered a success. I just wanted to start the brand, give it life. And I think that's probably why I've been able to build it. Those, the first four or five years of the company was no pressure. Um, and I think that really, for whatever reason, people gravitated to it because anyone that's, you know, core, snow person could just easily tell it was a brand that kind of you know walked the walk and um came out with things that made sense in the industry just because i knew from skiing around so much what i considered to be uh beanies and simple headwear and flannels and stuff that uh kind of made sense and you know were void of lightning bolts or you know, or stripes or flames and all that. I just want to make nice, simple product that I knew uh, there was a market for. And so mm -hmm. I think that uh, was so fun for me to come out of the gate and have just another way to, you know, be a part of the outdoor community. Because obviously as an athlete, it's super fun and such an honor. And then to be able to put something together that you can exist in the outdoor industry in a whole nother medium. Uh, it was just really fun for me and obviously totally challenging too. I've always said that starting a business is just always equal part challenging and equal part rewarding, you know? Yeah, totally. I think it's, it can be such a mental practice and so much about kind of doing a puzzle in a way. Um, but it's all about, the, your approach to it to, to find whether it's a success. I like that you said there's no pressure because sometimes I can be too close to my music or I know other people better get, take things personally when it comes to how someone reacts to a product of yours or something you put out. And that's it's important to take that feedback but not to take things personally. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was um, that time at Legend Sports Bar. We're this is 
something I've thought about a million times since it happened, and you've probably not thought about it once. Um, and so I feel like I had to bring it up. But we're at Legend Sports Bar, and some women's MMA comes up, and I'm drunkenly at some point say something like, "I feel like I could win in one of those fights," and you just right away shut me down, and not in like a mean way, but in a confident like those are professional athletes that do pretty much nothing but train for this and you just like no nonsense just shut me down <laughs> and I just want to say that was something that kind of blew me away in the moment and ever since I've thought about it a lot and I just love how you saw this toxic thing coming out of me and you just shut it down do you remember that at all I do yeah well it's probably because I had a pretty sobering experience um I used to think that I could smoke any college or pro um, basketball player women's. And I got, (laughs) I had an interesting experience because I used to go play pickup basketball all the time. And I went uh, to my local spot and there, there was no games going on, but there was this girl shooting hoops on the opposite uh, hoop. And I was like, hey, you want to play some uh, 21 or around the world or horse or something? And she's like, no, I'm just kind of going through some drills. I'm good. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go and shoot on my basket. She's shooting on hers. And then after 20, 30 minutes, she's like, hey, uh, I'm kind of done with my stuff. She's like, do you want to play a few games of horse? And I was like, sure. And she had a pair of Utah Stars shorts on. And that was the WNBA team. And just from talking to her, we were the number one draft pick that year in the entire draft and she was a point guard from you know some school in the mid east and or the midwest um anyway we played three games of horse and i got i she got to i made her get an h once she she could not miss i mean she was shooting three the entire time she could not miss and her ball handling was incredible and i was just like you know, totally my perspective of like, um, I guess exactly what yours was, was not to either of our faults, but like you said, it is absurd that we'd even think that cause we're men <laughs> and totally. I just have to get that firsthand experience. And I think I, I probably had just recently experienced that based on that timing of our uh, conversation about your MMA remark. And so I'm sure I was like, no way, dude. <laughs> There's yeah, no I, I just um, I love that my drunk ass just got shut down by you, because <laughs> like I think you even said you might think you, you might think you're scrappy, but like you don't even know the rules of this sport. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, come on, dude. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I got shut down by her, so thank her. <laughs> yeah, I no, I love it. I just I think it's a an important thing. I love that you shared the story too. Something that I feel like I can help, at least it's helped me in my journey of letting go of that toxic male streak of like just thinking I'm like something that I'm not. You know, like I'm pretty average at most things I do because that's how averages work. <laughs> sure. It's not, it's nothing personal about me. It's just like the fact of reality totally um i wanted to talk 
about the Cirque series. You want to kind of tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, it really just boils down to uh, like, you know, six, seven years ago in the off season, in the summers, I'd be mountain biking a lot. Um, and I got this amazing dog uh, and I took her, you know, this little puppy on some pretty big mountain bike rides and she loved it. And I was just like, man, that was like 15, 16 miles of just kind of all out sprinting for her. Mm -hmm. But like, if I keep doing this with her, by the time she turns four or five, she's going to be pretty beat up, you know? And so uh, I lived right by the trailhead to Mount Olympus in, in Utah. And Mount Olympus is obviously just this, you know, brutal hike where it's, um, you know, round trip, I think it's only five miles and it has 4,000 vert. So it's like, you know, super, super intense ass kicker of a hike. And so, uh, there's like a stream about a third of the way up, about half of the way up. And, uh, I just really started going on this hike a lot up to the stream and back. Um, and right away, a couple of my buddies did forest, uh, summer, uh, firefighting. And they're like, hey, to like be in our crew, you have to get to that uh, creek that's, you know, a third of the way up in, in a half hour or less or else you just like can't be on our crew. So that's like part of our uh, kind of like fitness uh, kind of threshold. And so I was like, whatever, I boot pack all the time. I'm hiking all the time, skiing. I'm like, I got it. So the next time I went, I just hiked as fast as I could, got to the stream Um 31 minutes. So I was super pissed and I was like, no way. So I got way addicted to the clock and getting my time down. And I usually go at sunrise or sunset. And I was just seeing these beautiful sunrises, sunsets. That trail is so beautiful. Um, it's really technical. Um, I was getting the best shape of my life. And on the way down, it's like tons of agility. And I was like, man, this kind of is like a mountain adventure. Um, I try to invite my friends. I'm like, ah, I don't really run. And I'm like, I don't run really either. This is different. And my uh, buddy's wife was like, hey, I see you're trail running a ton. Um, do you want to go do this trail run race down in uh, Moab? And I was like, well, is there any like vert? And she's like, well, not really. It's in Moab. And I'm like, well, I'm good. I'm like more into like going up a mountain, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I already signed you up. We're going next weekend. Come camp with us. Like, just come do it. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. So <laughs> I go down there and uh, there's like 400 people in this event. It costs like 60 or 70 bucks. And there's really just tons of cool people. And I end up getting second because I, like I said, at the time I was hiking Olympus like three to five, six times a week. So yeah. I was like in the best shape of my life. And there I was, I was thinking like, Ooh, I might have like a off season kind of career I can do here because I got second in this race and uh I started googling what races were out there that were like hiking Mount Olympus so short with tons of vert that you kind of like just summit a cool mountain you know mm-hmm. and all the populated were um the Hard Rock 100, Leadville 100, Wasatch 100, Great Western 100, all these amazing ultra races but they're 100 miles through the mountains or it was all the like you know, relay races, mud, Spartan, color runs, or marathons, street marathons, you know, or like mom and pop 10Ks or 5Ks. And I'm like, 
this is so weird. I'm like, not only in Utah, but in the entire nation, I could not find a race that was like, you know, uh, Mount Olympus. Where was a race that was like six, seven miles, eight miles with three or 4,000 vert going to a peak and back down? There's nothing. So I was just super shocked. And right away, I was like, man, I should create like a Wasatch Classics uh, little mini race series. And right away, I was hiking Olympus all the time. Um, Granger Peak is right there. And then another one called Beacon Peak. Those are three peaks I was hiking all the time at the time. And so it was just kind of a fleeting thought. But going back to that race in Moab, um, you know, they didn't really have much production value because obviously the race was super beautiful. And for my second place, I got like a $10 gift certificate to the local coffee shop. <laughs> so I was like, man, I'm like, the, I'm, I'm looking over this race organizer, dude. I'm like, good for him. I'm like, this guy just like literally pocketed, you know, 25 grand because there's 400 people here that paid 60, 70 bucks each, you know, and I'm yeah. like, good for him. But I'm like, we're the only ones that like backed our car up pop the tailgate and like had beers and like rooted people through the finish line just because everyone would kind of finish and wait for their friend and leave because there's nothing happening. So all the interesting people I could tell were dying to have a good time and hang out, but there's no reason to. So in the back of my head, again, it was, it was kind of fleeting. I was like, man, note to self, like these guys could have done a better job at, you know, providing an environment for people to hang out. Um, and also like better prize money for the winners and all that, you know, um, sure. and then like a month later, um, I went to the GoPro mountain games and did their mountain run 10 K. And so this one was the opposite. It had this insane production value. Um, obviously amazing environment, amazing announcing, um, just the production value is off the charts, but then the course was so underwhelming they just ran us out of the Vale village and then basically on a bunch of figure eights through the aspen trees with no sense of accomplishment no sense of a destination uh, and then brought us back to the finish line once we got to that you know 10k mark and so i'm like man that was also they missed the mark huge there's yeah. no sense of adventure there's no accomplishment there's no like destination i'm like they could have made that way cooler. So again, that just added more kind of just fleeting thoughts to eventually I started really thinking more and more about it over the next two years. And so that was like 2013, 14. Um, and then I was in uh, Iceland in 2015 in March and we were hiking all these beautiful lines and skiing all these amazing shoots. And on the last day there, we hiked this amazing Kuar. about two, 3,000 vert. And we were watching the sunset on the Arctic Ocean. And I was like, man, I feel so good. I just hiked 2,000 feet. I'm about to ski this chute to the ocean. I'm going to get home and I'm going to start that race series. Um, I'm going to do it. So anyway, fast forward from that March, that August uh, kicked off our first uh, summer of Cirque Series. So we had a race, our very first race, um, August 5th. 2015 at Alta. Um, and then we also had races at Deer Valley, Snowbird, and Crested Butte that summer. Um, and obviously now in 2020, we're, we're doing six races, uh, Colorado, Alaska, Wyoming, and Utah. So it's super fun because 
they're they're at the vision I've always uh, started to build them at. Um, they're selling out. The environment's super fun. The community is amazing, um, and we're carving out our little niche of being the the premier mountain running race series in the United States. That's really cool. I love that you just had an idea and just saw a void or something that you could like kind of fill that void and and you just kind of went for it here it is a few years later that's yeah it's been really fun well thanks it's been uh fun because it again relied on all these you know instincts and fluencies that i have from being in the mountains so much and loving obviously being in the mountains and it's uh I'm, i'm able to create the courses because I just intuitively know what will push people, but not too hard. Um, so all of our races are on average seven miles uh, with 3000 vert. Um, and we always, it's peak oriented. So we always hit a summit, a very iconic peak. And it can get super technical. It can get, you know, almost borderline pretty dangerous, but we have amazing, amazing safety support. Um, and the courses are always super well marked and, uh, and I put a ton of effort into fostering a great environment too. So we always have lots of brands that are there and present, um, great, like food and beverage, great music, good announcer. Um, and people, you know, on average, it takes them two, two and a half hours. So it's fun. People get done and they're not completely ruined from an experience because if you go do an ultra, or you go run a marathon, by the time you're done, you're just wiped out. So this is cool because people do get their butts kicked, but by the time they get back, um, you know, they're full of energy again. Everyone's just feeling amazing. We all just hiked the same peak together. We all have stories. We all battled the same kind of group of people. And then we're amongst these world-class mountain athletes that come out. We get pros and the top ranked mountain runners, um, in the nation and and like when how i thought i was kind of fast at that first moab race you know once i actually got exposed to the caliber of athletes um in the mountain running scene they are superheroes so usually let's say the average cirque series takes me about an hour and a half to finish the average time that the winners take is an hour these guys are like it's inhuman. It's, it's impossible how fast they are is, is absolutely bonkers. So it's fun because we get 20, 30, 40 pros do the races about a hundred bros like me. And then we get three to 400, um, kind of sport beginner types. So it's really fun to, you know, put together a, an event that, you know, son, dad, and even grandpa, everyone can be there and, you know, being a Stargate with an Olympic athlete and it still makes sense for everybody. And I try to try to create like a very inclusive environment. Um, and it's really fun to be the race director and put on a great event and uh, just feel and know, you know, so many people having so much fun. It just radiates off everyone. And that's super motivating on the event production side to make sure we just keep throwing amazing races. That's really cool. As someone who's done a lot of events in my life and had them go both ways of successful and not so successful, there's nothing like having something go off and, and better than 
imagine and being able to create that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, I love, really cool. I love it. It's been a fun, super fun project and keeps me in the mountains all summer. So I'm just super fortunate and grateful that I get to, uh, you know, put myself in those places that I just love being all year round. Yeah, I might have to, um, if this ankle ever heals, maybe try and sign up for one next year. Dude, I'd love to see you come out, man. You won't regret it. I promise. It's so much fun. I've I've kind of made a whole transition in the past couple of years from partying to trying to be in shape. And I think trail running, if I can manage to make it up and down a mountain without completely ruining my ankle, I think it's something I'm going to really enjoy. I like it, man. All right. You're going to come out next summer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep up to date on what the events are and what I can make happen. Um, let's hope events are back next summer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they will be. And even if uh, there's still some tippy-toeing, um, we'll certainly be able to produce one responsibly no matter what. So, um, yeah, just check out com. The whole uh, event dates are already set up and we're onward 2021, man. So, check it out that's that's awesome i definitely will do you have any uh plans for this winter as far as skiing goes um i'm just kind of excited to look kind of domestically at doing as much as possible because i think each winter i'm always usually excited and have opportunities to um travel internationally and you know for as much as i love going to europe and japan and all that kind of stuff I'm just, I've been actually getting really excited about, um, just totally researching like the Cascades and Montana and Mammoth and Tahoe and Taos, New Mexico and Wyoming and Utah, Colorado and everything. So it's, I just got a ton of ideas for just totally a U.S. based, uh, winter, which is super fun to think, to think about. Cause usually I just kind of, you know, Canada or Europe or whatever, you know, so it's kind of cool to turn it around and just look at the U.S. Dude, that's really exciting. I'm actually considering subletting my apartment here in New York City and spending the winter being a ski bum in Utah. Just Do going it, back to my Do it. Let's go thread. <laughs> Dude, I would really love that. Um, I'll be sure to hit you up if I end up out there. Love it. Um, before I let you go, I want to just ask you a couple of real quick questions. Um, what has skiing taught you about life? Uh, I would say, man, I think it's like, uh, you got to really think a couple steps ahead, um, in life. And that's really something you have to get good at, um, and skiing, especially with cliffs. Like if you don't know what you're landing in, it could look great, but you know, you can't get caught up in just what looks great. You really got to know what you're jumping into. So I think in life, that analogy just really, um, transfers over quite easily. <laughs> yeah. Being prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And just things through kind of A to Z instead of being short-sighted and only thinking things through A to E, A to F, which I think we're all guilty of at times, you know? Uh, 100%. I think humans, our natural state is to be kind of lazier to cut corners because 
evolutionarily it kind of made sense in some ways because you're frantically just trying to fulfill all these needs. Totally. But it can lead to some real problems if you don't think things through. Totally. I've been watching this show alone, like binge watching it. Have you seen that? No, it's not about. It's like History Channel, they have 10 people go out and just try and pretty much survive for as long as possible and last one standing with 500 grand. Oh, I've heard about this. It's a few people. It's insane. Yeah. I love it. But they get like, yeah, you should check it out. They like will be like kind of hypothermic is not eating enough and they'll make this decision that it's like that ruins the time out there and they gotta like call to be saved. Totally. And that's that looking that out. thing to A to F. Yeah. Um well just a last couple questions. Do you have any advice for anyone trying to start a business? I would say do it. <laughs> um <laughs> just do it. And you can, you know, write the most amazing business plan, get consultation from all your, you know, closest friend and business gurus that you admire. And I don't think you'll ever get to a point where you feel like you know everything because you just can't until you get in there and start doing it. Um, You'll encounter a lot of stuff that you don't quite know the answer to. but, you know, you just got to put your feet up to the fire and feel the heat a little bit. And uh, that that motivates you a lot more than, you know, just putting together hypotheticals. And obviously, thinking things through as much as you can A to Z before you jump in there is super important. But you need the experience. And the only thing that will happen is you'll learn a lot and you know, if anything, just minimize your spending. Don't, you know, like get a company car and use your funding for a car that maybe you put a wrap on it or something like don't spend your money on stupid things that aren't just completely nuts and bolts kind of foundations of what you need to survive. And then you'll learn what sense to spend money on. Sorry about that. No worries. We dogs on the show. <laughs> You got to keep it skinny in a way. Keep your expenses low. Yeah. Hold on just one sec. They're going outside. Okay. Do you want me to like say that last sentence again? (laughs) Yeah, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, What was it? I don't even remember now. Um, Or like knowing everything that or kind of doing your research and, and making sure that you got your got it thought out A to Z, but also just jumping in and keeping your expenses low. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, crap, I can't remember how I worded it. Whatever, there'll just be some dogs in it, right? Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and last, if, if not least, anyone trying to face their fears... Maybe not necessarily jump off of a hundred foot cliff, but you know, do you have any advice for getting better at facing those fears? I would just say there's so many things in life that are scary, uh, and that's a good thing, obviously, because it helps you um, have that sense of self preservation throughout your life. But 
I think that uh, some things are just always scary, but once you think through it, um, you kind of start to understand the layer, the layering of what makes you scared of something. Because um, like I mentioned earlier, big cliffs are always super scary. They're never not scary, but once you really think through why you're scared, um, you can actually start to understand what the scary parts are because it's just scary, but then you understand that things are still like super possible, even though it's scary. So I think so many people just, once they feel fear, they flee, you know, they vacate whatever situation because being scared is a shitty, you know, it's a weird feeling. And so I think that's just it. If like you want to overcome fear, you have to understand that, you know, I always meet people that are like, you're fearless. Like, I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> I just, uh, don't always like quite obey that fear and vacate and flee. I just think through it, breathe with it, sit with it and start to understand why I'm scared. And, you know, oftentimes you're scared for really good reasons, but other times you're scared just because it's scary, but whatever it is you're trying to pursue, actually it's quite graspable and you can proceed, you know? Mm, totally. That's uh, so many of our fears are manufactured in our own heads. Um, and I think a lot of people have a lot to benefit from us being afraid and becoming more comfortable with the idea of the discomfort of fear or whatever parts of discomfort of, in life just pop up. The more comfortable you get with it and familiar with it, the better off you are as far as moving through it and um, learning from it. Totally. It, I, I really like that advice. Um, I feel like pretty much covered what I wanted to ask you all about. Did you have anything? I know you're an ambassador for Protect Our Winners, and I think that's a really, really important organization. And Dakota Jones already kind of mentioned a little bit about it, but is there anything you'd like to say about it? Um, I just think that, you know, global warming and, and climate change is just obviously this gigantic topic. And I feel like, you know, it shouldn't be a bipartisan issue. Uh, and I feel like to, to get educated POW is just a great resource. Um, and for me, I just feel like I want to be educated, uh, not only in the science, but just like at the policy level, um, whether it's local, state or, or federal uh, and, and what's going on so that I can understand what kind of levers are getting pulled and understand the science uh, just so, you know, I want to have a grasp on a crazy topic facing humanity and try to sift through all the, uh, you know, opinions and noise that everyone's bombarded with at all times um, and kind of know how to distill all that noise into uh, a bottom line education on it. So POW is just amazing for that. Um, and I think that, you know, once you have that baseline understanding of it all, then you can actually get involved in the conversation and, and have the chance to contribute. Um, whether it's convincing a friend or, or a relative family or, uh, or more, you know? And so I think just being able to win those conversations, no matter if it's just one person or the potential for more, uh, is huge. And Powell is just a great resource for that. I think 
the the solution to all the problems we're facing as a country or as a species, the solution is education. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. So anyone that uh, maybe doesn't know where to start, Pow has amazing uh, education resources. Like I said, not just the science, but policy. Uh, so it's it's a great great place you can go get learned. Go get learned. Yeah, go go learn your, your stats so you can tell dad or uncle Joe what's up. Exactly, or at least have something you can reference to back up. You know whatever it is your passionate opinion is, if you can actually have something to point out um, for people to chew on that might think otherwise, you know? 100%. I think that science doesn't lie because all it does is try to prove itself wrong. So there's no benefit in lying. (laughs) Totally. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down with me, Julian. Is there anything you'd like to plug before I let you go? I appreciate you bringing up uh, Discrete and obviously the Cirque series. And um, and as always, I'm still very much in love with skiing and the mountains. And um, yeah, thanks a ton for, for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to our paths crossing again, hopefully sometime here in New York or out in Salt Lake City. Sounds great, man. Let me know anytime you come out to, to the to the Rockies and I'll definitely give you a shout when I come out to New York next. Oh yeah. That'd be great, man. Thanks so much. You take care. All right, man. We'll see you.